Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you thought about the quality of the air you breathe in your home or in your office? If it's been a while, we're here to change that. This is Indoor Air Quality IQ, a podcast from Renew Air, where our goal is to raise your IQ about IAQ. All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of IAQ IQ, Indoor Air Quality and You, a podcast from Renew Air. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the show. We are smack in the middle of a three-episode series with Paul Raymer, who we're going to introduce to you here in just a moment. But if you missed episode one, make sure to go back and uh, and check that episode out, where we really dive into who Paul is, what his work has been, uh, some of his excellent novels, and things along those lines. And so you want to go back and check out episode one if this is the first one of that you are joining us for. But here on this episode today, we have Nick Agopian, once again, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Renew Air. Nick, welcome to another episode of the show. Thanks for joining me. Always looking forward to it. I am as well. I always enjoy these conversations quite a bit. And today, once again, we are joined by Paul Raymer, like I mentioned, for the second part of a three-episode series. Paul, welcome to another episode of the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Nick. Glad to be here. It's always fun. Well, episode episode one was a blast, and so I'm really looking forward here to episode two. And one of the things that we really didn't discuss in that first episode, Paul, was you really wrote the residential guidebook on ventilation. We didn't talk a lot about that in episode one, but tell us a little bit about that background and and, and writing that book on ventilation uh, for for residential um, for residential homes and and that sort of thing. Sure, it's it's the residential ventilation guidebook. It's uh, uh, the first version of it was published by McGraw Hill. And then I redid it um, because McGraw-Hill didn't think there was a huge market for people reading about residential ventilation, and they didn't want to turn it into a movie. So so I brought it back, and um, I wrote it as a, a, a easier-to-read guidebook. I, I'm, as I mentioned previously, I'm not an engineer, and I don't like reading Reg, uh, engineering books. Um, so I tried to write this in a way that was readable um, and also that you could skip around in. So if your fan was making a lot of noise, you could go to the chapter about sound, or if you wanted to know what different types of systems were there, and there's a large section on ventilation codes um, and that sort of thing. So. I find I refer to it a lot myself when I pull it off the shelf and wanted to know, you know, what was the code for that? Um, so the ICC was very kind letting me just uh, reproduce it in there. Fantastic stuff. And and Nick, obviously, people who have listened to the podcast uh, know your credentials as it relates to ventilation and what we discuss here on the show. But um, just give us a little bit of your background as well. If people are joining us for the first time and learning a little bit more about you, uh, give us some of your credentials there. My main focus in this industry has has uh, remained indoor air quality, um, and 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 something that I've done earlier on in my life was filtration, and I think filtration is very important, and is and should be ancillary to ventilation. Uh, one of the reasons why I think ventilation is important and critical, uh, because when we do ventilate, and more importantly, look at positive displacement ventilation. This means if you get one cubic foot of air that you throw out, you bring in one cubic, fi- uh, one cubic foot of air into the space. 
that new cubic foot of air in the space is is free of contaminants. The uh, the EPA has deemed indoor air anywhere between two to five times as and as much as a hundred times more polluted than outdoor air. So when you bring that in, it absorbs or it can take on the internally generated contaminants. And then once again, as we throw that air back out, it allows Mother Nature to help us in 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 purifying or remediating some of the problems. So when we take a look at, as an example, what we're experiencing right now with, with COVID-19, uh, we can filter that out. And there, there's a lot of filtration devices that do a good job. Uh, but I had an interesting conversation with a doctor who said, we've overprescribed antibiotics. And the reason we've over overprescribed it because is because when you do consume it, it kills everything in your body. It kills the bad, but it also kills the good. And when we look at filtering some pathogens, uh, you're not only filtering that one bad pathogen, but you're filtering um, everything else out as well that is good. And at the end of the day, we are a biodome. And by allowing us to ventilate where we take that contaminated air and throw it out, if it happens to have a pathogen in it, then Mother Nature can render it ineffective in less than a second. So ventilation helps the inside and ventilation also in concert with Mother Nature uh, helps us to remediate some of the problems that we have uh, indoors. So, uh, so I think uh, I've moved from the filtration side of my career into the ventilation side, but always keeping in mind that ventilation with filtration can be a good thing in order to achieve the uh, the highest level of good indoor air quality or great indoor air quality, uh, resolving the issue that we talked about earlier, which is sick building syndrome. Absolutely. For more on sick building syndrome, again, go back, listen to the first episode of the show. It was a really, really good conversation, a really good discussion with Paul and Nick about what that means and what that looks like. But, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about as it relates to ventilation is simply the way that we're using our homes differently now here as we record this episode in 2022 as opposed to maybe January, February of 2020, right? Uh, so many more people are working from home. So many people are doing school from home. And um, and I think our homes are now viewed differently by a larger group of the population than maybe they were pre-pandemic. Um, and that, that represents a pretty significant change. So um, Paul, Nick, wondered if you guys wanted to elaborate a little bit more on what that change represents and how that affects um, the effectiveness of our home and how we need to think about ventilating our homes and things of that nature. Yeah, well, when you spend all your time in your house, you know, then you're spending all your time with all the chemicals and things that are in the air, as Nick mentioned earlier. Um, so, he, and, and I think it, I can't reiterate too strongly what you said, Nick, about one CFM in equals one CFM out. I mean, that, that is such a hard concept for people to believe. It seems like there's so much air um, in the house to do that. Interesting, one of the things that I show my students sometimes is I take a, a box fan um, and you know, you have it sitting there running, moving all the air, and then you just cover up the inside, inlet side with a piece of cardboard. And the fan continues to run, but no air is coming out of the exhaust. Because in order for it to actually move any air, it has to go in and go out. And so that's the key to a, a good ventilation system, 
is air changes and how often you change the air in the house. I, I, I believe that, that homes are designed um, in such a way um, to be able to be used um, the way we've used homes pre-pandemic. So what does that mean? Uh, we wake up in the morning, um, we, we have a situation that we will label as a peak load, meaning that um, we're cooking, we're taking showers, we're uh, blow drying our hair, we're, we're applying a whole bunch of chemicals on our body uh, because of uh, underarm perspirants, um, the, the, the dry cleaning that came out of the, the plastic covered sheets, the uh, hair products, the colognes and perfumes that we add, uh, deodorants, whatever the case may be. And then we all leave. The kids go to school. The um, uh, the husband and wife uh, go to work or, or do whatever it is that they do. And they leave the house. And then the house tends to normalize itself and, and lower the steady state concentration that once again peaked because everybody woke up, woke up taking showers and once again eating and cooking, whatever. Um, and then uh, come, you know, latter part of the afternoon, kids are coming back after work, maybe they're going to have uh, uh, an afternoon snack or a play date or whatever the case may be, and they're playing with whatever it is that they're playing with. It could be some some paints and, and doing stuff, arts and crafts, regardless. But, you know, parents uh, come home and, and they start cooking. And, and then once again, we, we achieve another peak level. Um, but then as the evening continues on, uh, all that starts to subside. And then the house tries to um, restabilize itself with regards to the indoor environment. Now, what's interesting is that today, uh, that's all gone. Uh, today, uh, everyone's staying at home, which means we are constantly exhaling CO2. We are constantly um, uh, off-gassing bioeffluents. Uh, we're constantly having to maybe do something like, oh, I got to make a snack for my kids or make a snack for uh, my husband or wife. And the house is being used 24-7, not giving itself the capacity to try to normalize. Now, um, when we look at ventilation strategies uh, moving forward, and, and, and Paul has said it so well, positive displacement is so critical. And the best way I can describe this, because there, 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 there's a little bit of a contradiction in this standards writing where one person says we only have to use bathroom exhaust fans. Another person says, oh, no, we have to use balanced ventilation to what we were talking about earlier, one cubic foot of air out, one cubic foot of air in. To depict this so our listeners can understand the difference is that when you bring air in, and you're pushing the air into the structure and then removing it through the exhaust fan is the equivalent of blowing out a candle. Very easy. You can blow out a candle, the candle goes out and the air continues on. I urge anybody, and I'll bet you $10 to your one, $100 to your one, maybe $1,000 to your one, if you can show me where using just a bathroom exhaust fan is the equivalent of sucking a candle out. If you can suck a candle out by just trying to bring air into your lungs is impossible. So think of that. Take a candle, light it, 
and then blow it out as compared to sucking it out. And you can't do that, which is why it's very important that we have the balanced ventilation offering the positive displacement, especially today, because the, the house itself can't normalize by itself. The house itself needs some help and some support, and that's where balanced ventilation becomes critical. And when we take a look at all First Nations around the world, this is in Asia, in Middle East, in Europe, all over Europe, even our friends up north, balanced ventilation in concert with energy recovery is mandated by code and law it's, or code. It has to be put in, whether you're a 300-square-foot studio in, in a downtown core or whether you're a 12,000-square-foot a, a mansion somewhere, ERVs, but more importantly, balanced ventilation becomes critical. Here in the U.S., there's, it's very sporadic. I know that in, 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 in Minnesota, it's mandated for balanced ventilation. There are certain pockets around the United States, like the Northeast, where it's, it's mandated. And we're just starting to turn the corner requiring balanced ventilation mo uh, moving forward. So uh, I'm super excited to be able to talk about it, as you can tell from the passion in my voice on why balanced ventilation is important. I love that. I, I, I love that. So, Paul, give us your, your take on, on balanced ventilation and why it's so important. What's, what's the point of balanced ventilation? Um, just give us your take on that. Obviously, you heard um, Nick talk about it very eloquently and very passionately there. So g give us your perspective on this. Well, I think one of the things, I mean, for years, of course, I've been hearing about balanced ventilation and immediately think of products such as the ones that Renew Air makes um, of putting the fans blowing in and blowing out in one box, bringing everything together. But then I started thinking about it a bit more. And one of the things that I think is, is fundamental about balanced ventilation is balance. Um, with balanced ventilation, there is no, uh, the pressures on the pressure boundary of the house are neutralized so that there is no pressure pulling in or pushing out. And so all the leaks and cracks in the house are neutralized. And that is really one of the most important parts of balanced ventilation. Now it's great to have equipment like Renew Airs. <laughs> I'm sure Nick feels quite strongly about that. But I mean, to achieve that, you could put in one fan blowing out and one fan uh, blowing in and then try to get them balanced. But that is extremely hard to do. Um, now, the other thing, Tyler, I just wanted to mention, and this is what I was talking about having a, a manual for this, is, and I'm sure Nick, you'll agree with this, is I'm finding that a lot of people look at HRVs and ERVs or balanced ventilation devices as just another box of fans. So you can just buy that thing and stick it in the way you'd put stick in a bathroom fan. But that's not really true, right? I mean, you really need to know, again, what you're doing. And so my attempt at putting together a, an installation manual is based on helping people understand how to do that right, um, because we want to make sure the equipment works as well as, as Nick has designed them. And one other thing I just want to mention, Tyler, I remember you were 
working with with athletes and soccer and things and um there's a, a wonderful world word called mephitic which is the what my son's football equipment smelled like when i came home from practice and <laughs> it's a great word in fact i've called my network in my house here the the mephitic network I, I like that. I like that. I need to. I need to look up this word and, and work it into my my regular lexicon. I think. Um, absolutely, absolutely. So one of the things we wanted to discuss as as we have this conversation just about the importance of uh, of balanced ventilation and, and what that looks like and, and why it is so crucial is how you then go about designing a residential ventilation system and some best practices that exist. Because Paul, this is something that, that you've really done a lot of work on and, and done a lot of work in these areas is just how you go about designing these systems and, and the, the principles that you apply when you do that. Yeah. And I would, I like to think of this as transformational thinking here. Um, as you know, the ASHRAE 62.2 standard, uh, which sets the ventilation rate for a house, is based on the square footage of the house um, and the number of occupants. And it's, it's basically a single number. And it doesn't mandate where you put it or how you put it in or anything, but it's one number. And that's quite similar to the old-fashioned way of of having a central fireplace in the house and then expecting convection to move the air around through the rooms and down the hallways and all that sort of stuff. And as you can imagine, I mean, there are going to be places in the house where air <laughs> is not moving if you're relying on, on uh, just convective currents to move it around. And so this thinking is basically saying, let's not do it that way. Uh, let's do it um, by the, the room use. Let's say that you need a certain amount of air for a bedroom to supply to a bedroom uh, or kitchen or take away from a kitchen or take away from a bathroom. So the Canadian F326 standard basically sizes the ventilation system based on the room. Um, it's pretty straightforward. So that... Um, for example, things like the, uh, you have category A rooms and category B rooms. Category A rooms are supply rooms, which are master bedroom, basement, single bedrooms, living room, all that kind of stuff where people are. And category B rooms are basically exhaust rooms like kitchens and bathrooms and laundry rooms and utility rooms. And so, Right now, our heating and cooling systems are based on what's called ACA uh, Manual J, which is basically the heat load from each room. Um, so you have the heat, how much heat is needed, how much cooling is needed based on its orientation, the windows, the insulation. So every room in the house has a number. Um, they don't just put, <laughs> say this house needs, 60,000 BTUs and then dump the whole thing into the into the living room. Um, and I think the same thing can be done for uh, homes for ventilation. You size it by the room use. And it, it works out quite easily if you do that. You know, basically a uh, simple house might have 20 CFM in the master bedroom, 20 in the living family room, 10 in a single bedroom. And you add all that up and that means you need 
like 80 CFM of supply. And then you add up the exhaust points and you might, then you need 80 CFM of exhaust. And you put the system in. And Nick, I'm going to get kicked off ASHRAE 62 for saying this, but if you do it this way, you don't need ASHRAE 62. <laughs> I agree. So we'll both get kicked off. <laughs> I, I could get, you know, we could do away with these long meetings debating every, every issue because, you know, houses are not rockets. <laughs> you know, we don't need a tenth of a, you can't go to the lumber yard and buy a, a 23 CFM fan. I mean, you know, you can size it all you want with all the math, but basically it's, it's pretty simple. There, I've said it, and now I'm... <laughs> I think it'll be okay. You're too important. But I, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, uh, to maybe help people visualize that, if you were to have a home um, that, um, let's just say, um, has a living room uh, that's facing the south side um, of, the, uh, of space, and meaning that you've got solar exposure in the in in the summertime uh meaning that it's going to get very hot very fast because this living room is just covered floor to ceiling wall to wall of windows conversely if you have the exact same square footage of space but you call it a movie theater where there's no windows whatsoever and it's just walls and it happens to be facing the north side which means you're not going to have the solar exposure that you would on the living room that's facing south that's got all these windows. Even though they're the exact same size rooms, they operate totally different. The cooling load requirements for that living room because of the south exposure and all those windows is going to be much higher, if not double, the same square footage facing north without any windows. That's what Paul is alluding to. So try to visualize that. Each room has its own particular needs and, and requirements based on what you use it for and how you're using it. So if you're to ventilate a bathroom, you need more air than if you're going to ventilate maybe um, a vestibule going in and out of your house. Just an, an example, as compared to maybe uh, ventilating an arts and crafts room that you have for your kids or or a kitchen, which might need a lot more. So, so just visualizing what I mean by having all this exposure of sun as compared to none, they're two different needs and, and they have to be designed independently uh, according to what um, Paul's alluding to. But when you take a look at the holistic need, um, we look at the, the complex calculations where, well, uh, you need so much per, per square foot and, and based on the number of bedrooms, meaning the number of people. But if you have infiltration at, at 1.6 CFM of infiltration, you need to do, you don't need all that stuff. You, you don't need to get to that point. It can be quite simple and, and more important when you make it that simple, then it's easier to, to apply. And if you happen to have a little bit more air, well, that's fine too. That's okay because the code is based on minimum requirements. Minimum requirements to what I've said many times, such that the builder, the contractor, and the suppliers don't go to jail. No one says you can't put more air, but you can't go less than what's advocated there.
we we could make it a lot more complicated, Nick, if we wanted to. There are um, there's software now that can analyze the chemical outgassing of the materials, and we could adjust each room. But you know, one of the cool things now, just along those lines, is that you wonderful guys in in manufacturing are developing controls to do that. And so we can put in a system based on the general use of the house and then tweak it as you were talking about earlier with your cell phone, adjusting it when there were higher levels of CO2 and, and so on and so forth. So it can be just a wonderfully simple uh, process overall. Um, I, I can't agree with you more. It's it's the kind of thing where kicked off. I tell you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I when you take a look at uh, it, it's it's minus twelve here in Madison today uh, as we conduct this podcast, and uh, I have my heating system pretty much operating at at, at full blast. Uh, but if it happens to be a thirty five degree day, it's 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 operating at at, at half the heating. It's not an on-off type of scenario where, you know, if, if it happened to be on-off on the 35-degree air, I'd overheat my space or I'd cycle my system. So demand-based control is paramount, without a doubt. And, and something that's coming down the pipeline through some of the standards discussions, but more importantly, the market demand is asking for this to what you were alluding to, Paul, as, as sensors and controls where we are sensing CO2, we are sensing um, VOCs or indoor air quality or PM 2.5. And when we have this peak that's occurring because of our activities indoors, then our systems, our ventilation systems can go into a boost mode. Because what's critical is that when we do have a peak, you want to try to pull it back down as fast as possible so that you don't end up disseminating all these contaminants throughout the house, and then you end up with an overall steady state concentration that's much higher, that'll take the home a lot longer to bring down. So activating something based on activity is certainly a benefit to better indoor air quality. So now I wanna throw in my, my tagline. The solution to pollution is dilution distribution. <laughs> the distribution is so critical it definitely is yeah. so expand on that a little bit paul what what makes distribution so important and uh maybe break that down for for us a little bit more well it so goes back to the whole concept of if you need a sixty thousand btu furnace you just don't dump it in the living room you distribute it to the bedrooms and the kitchen and the bathrooms and throughout the house. And the same thing is true with ventilation. It's got to be ducted. And as houses get more and more efficient, it gets to the point where, <laughs> oh man, I'm going to get in trouble. It, it, it gets to the point where you basically can almost ignore the heating system <laughs> and put in the ducted ventilation system and then add a little conditioning air to it um, to keep things comfortable. And if the house load is as low as it's being, it's getting to, you know, that's a very feasible concept and is basically the kind of approach they use in passive house design. 
Absolutely. In, in some passive house applications where the structure is highly insulated, uh, roof has extra insulation. Windows can be three pane, even four pane windows in residential applications. And, and the wall R value is extremely high. And the ceiling integrity um, is, is extremely high. Uh, it's at a point where the outdoor climatic conditions don't have that much of an impact on indoors. Then when you add high efficiency devices like LED lights, the indoor um, climatic impacts aren't that high to the point where if you had a ventilation system with its own cooling and heating capability, you don't need to almost recirculate any of the air because you can have a 100% outdoor air system that brings air in from the outside, flushes the inside, and we throw that air back out. And it's a single pass effect that goes through. And I've seen a, a, a few installations along those lines. And we've technically in this building where we're at at Renewware, uh, we've operationalized accordingly in our training center, in our gym area or fitness studio, as well as the uh, uh, the cafeteria or lunchroom area where we don't recirculate any of the air. It's a 100% outdoor air system. But that's a little bit further away from where we're at right now in the standards, but uh, certainly something that's uh, plausible. I, I One quick story that uh, years ago, I worked with an architect who built underground houses. And he said the house was so efficient that if he invited six people over for dinner, um, they it heated the house. And if he could get two of them in a fight, he could send three of them home. <laughs> it's true because you don't need that much. Yeah, so I was going to suggest that uh, people could evaluate their own house. It's always good to bring it home. Um, you can figure on if you use the F three twenty six standard assign 20 CFM of supplier to the master bedroom, 20 to the family room, 10 to a single be bedroom, uh, 10 to a living room, 10 to a bathroom. Um, you can add all those up and come up with how much air you need to move. I like to see the distribution systems supply some air to every room and extract some air from every room. So it's just like one CFM in equals one CFM out. If you put uh, 20 CFM into the master bedroom, but you don't let any way to get it back to the system, um, it doesn't balance well. And that's what we're looking for, right? Balanced ventilation. Exactly. And then what ends up happening is if you don't extract it back out from the space, um, then you're pushing it into other areas and distributing any internally generated contaminants from that single room uh, into other areas. So I agree. Uh, balanced is not just the holistic look of one system, uh, but balanced is each individual room uh, accordingly. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to go home tonight and do that calculation myself. So it's going to be uh, uh, fun because I will compare it uh, to the home solutions uh, section on our website uh, where you can calculate how much air you need based on square footage and number of bedrooms. And I'm going to compare the two. So I'll get back to you offline, Paul, and let you know what I find, at least in my house. That's great. And, and I think, too, the interesting thing, Nick, just for you, it's a real benefit for your products, is the fact that because the system is balanced, you're not worrying about infiltration and leakage and stuff. So the house is balanced. So you've cut out a lot of the heat loss 
uh, through that. So the system may, may cost a bit more upfront, but the actual operating cost is less. Exactly. Paybacks are within uh, uh, three, four years, and uh, the balanced ventilation assures that the air is filtered, what we label as controlled ventilation, as bringing in air through all the pores, cracks, and fissures of your structure, uh, which means that you're bringing air across fiberglass insulation that ultimately brings in um, other problematic um, issues that can that, that can arise. Uh, but you brought up a, a, a really good point as we close off this segment is that when we look at energy recovery ventilation, people think that there's a cost and there is a cost, of course, but the cost over a 25 year lifespan of a building is only within the first three, four years. Thereafter, an ERV pays for itself. And as um, homes improve, uh, we need to improve the ventilation systems. More importantly, uh, to everything we alluded to in this segment, um, controlling your ventilation system and making it demand-based, I think, is paramount in order to achieve the indoor air quality and assure to what you labeled, Paul, in segment number one, uh, sick building syndrome. So if you don't want that, uh, applying everything that Paul was alluding to, I think, is is, is important uh, for the health and safety of of your family, as especially especially when we spend more in uh, time indoors. Nick, that's a great segue into the third part of this thing, and I think it's actually the payback is a lot faster. Absolutely. Well, everyone. This has been part two of a three-part series. You want to tune in to part three if you haven't already. We're going to talk a little bit more about what Nick just got into. That is the cost of ventilation. But we're also going to talk about disability-adjusted life years. Uh, that is DALIs for short. And so we're going to dive in and explain what that means. And Paul is going to give us a story uh, as well to kind of coincide a little bit with that to illustrate this point about what DALIs are and why it's such an important topic to discuss. So you don't want to miss part three. So tune into that. But for this episode, Paul and Nick, thank you again for joining me. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. Absolutely. And everyone, we will see you over on part three of the podcast series. Don't miss it. We will see you there soon. 